Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Welcome, everyone, to a fresh episode of GTF, Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia. Two quick notes. Uh, send me your questions in the chat here. Ninja52Elite had to work while we were coming in live, so he's popped in early and left uh, three or four questions that we'll get to a little later in the show. And so I'll be keeping one eye on the chat for all of the other questions that will be coming in, and Greg will address all or most of them by the end of the show. The other thing that I want to share with you is tonight at 8 p.m. Central is the season premiere of Draft on Tap with Danny Shimon and myself. And we've got a jam-packed show with lots of really interesting things, including Quentin Crisco from On Tap Sports is going to provide us with a five-minute scouting report on offensive lineman Troy Fontenot of Washington. So let's bring in the man of the hour right now. His name is Greg Gabriel. Greg, how are you, my friend? I'm doing wonderful. How about you? I'm doing great. This is a great time of the year. I, you know, I see all this fighting, Caleb versus Justin. And so why is this happening? This is a great moment in Chicago Bears history. We have the number one overall. Let's be happy. Yeah, you got, you got the number all number one overall pick that really all, all through Ryan Poles on, on the trade he made a year ago was nothing that the uh, the Bears team did. They earn number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, when you look back, it, you want to beat Green Bay. And if you beat Green Bay, you're probably picking 11 or 12 or something like that. But now that, you know, it's over, you're, you'd rather be picking at nine. So uh, it, it chances are you'd get the, the same player reg- regardless of what spot you're in because everybody's board's different. But uh, it, it still it gives you a little better chance of, of getting a guy that that you're targeting. Uh, last year, they were at nine, traded down one spot with Philly uh, and, and took Darnell Wright, who turned out to be a hell of a pick. So, you know, we're going to get two really good players. I'm going to go to my deathbed saying they're trading that first pick and uh, and maybe even trade it twice, uh, you know, depending on, on how things work out. Because I think, what they would want to do is end up with another first round pick next year mm-hmm. and a second round pick this year because they gave up the second round pick to get uh, Tez. And uh, that will put them in really, really good position going forward. Last year, I was surprised that they traded the number one overall pick. I think it was in March. But you said this was a really smart move. Do you foresee that that could be a possibility this year, that they could trade that number one pick early? Or this year, is it different? And would it be advantageous to hold on to the pick as long as possible and to field trade offers on draft day? Yeah, it's a great question. And really... He could go either way. But if you go to what his thinking was last year, you know, they had a ton of money in uh, cap space 
to go out and, and get players. But they wanted, as part of a condition of a trade, they wanted to get a veteran player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that wasn't going to happen if you trade down two or three slots. You know, you see, and I'm backing up a little bit or backtracking a little bit, but you see some of these projected trades that people put out on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, oh, we'll trade down here and we'll get this, 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 and this. They're going, are these people out of their mind? You know, mm-hmm. don't they know how the, you know, it, it, you trade down one spot, it's a 400-point move. You trade down two slots, it's an 800-point move. Yes, you're going to get a premium because they're trading for number one. But you aren't getting the first-round pick next year as part of that. You know, you, you might get a two and a two. Uh, but really, the, just using the points, and you got you got to throw that out because it, it, that's just the basis of a trade, not an absolute. But when you – when you just let's say they trade down one spot, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay. the The difference in points it is like four hundred points, but where we got there, okay, it's yeah, four hundred, four hundred points. And if you've got the second pick in in, in the second round, that's five hundred and sixty points. They've already picked up a premium of one hundred and sixty points, right? By just moving one thing, okay, you're going to get a premium. You might get another. 100, 150 points or something like that in a premium. But for people to think they're going to get this haul because they got it last year, that's ridiculous. They got the haul because they moved nine slots. Right. Bring up the chart again and see how many points nine slots is. Uh, 1350 is the value of the 10th overall pick. Sorry. So, yeah, that, that's quite the difference. There's no right. doubt so, about it. Yeah. I could see him trying to move twice, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who wants the quarterback and then go down. Now, I'm convinced they're going to take the quarterback. I just don't think they're going to take it with the first overall pick. Okay. You know, and, and and that's where and I get hammered every freaking day <laughs> on, on Twitter, which is fine. I'm just debating with myself when it goes the way I think it's going to go. What's my response going to be? And I think I'm just going to put out one laughing face and that's it. Oh, I'll send you a picture of somebody with a middle finger up and you can share yeah, that with They her. already got that, emo- that emoji's already there. I use that all the time. <laughs> Great. Yeah, but it, it's, you know, when you just keep looking at, at, at things, mm-hmm. that what they said in the press conference, who they picked as an offensive coordinator, and we'll get into that in a couple minutes. And stuff that came out yesterday, like what Albert Breer said, everything says we are staying with Justin Fields. Now, you know, now for, for those people who don't know about Albert Breer, he wrote that Eberflus has been defending, that, that's the word he used, defending Justin Fields to the offensive coordinators that were interviewed. Now, here's what's confusing about that, because that makes it sound like, well, I don't want him. And I don't think that's the case at all, because reality is they don't know him. Yeah, right. Okay, so it those who – Shane Waldron, I shouldn't say those guys because it's our the picks already been made. Mm-hmm. Shane Wal- Waldron is going to have a say. How big a say that remains to be seen. But that was already 
or a lot of that was already taken care of, I'm going to assume, based on how interviews go, in the interview process. Mm -hmm. And he has a history of working with athletic quarterbacks. He has a history of taking a, a quarterback who was deemed a bust, and Justin Fields is not deemed a bust, um, and turning him into a legitimate NFL quarterback who got voted to the Pro Bowl after the 22 season. So, and that took that guy nine years to kind of redeem himself. You know, right. so, you know, as you said, deathbed a little while ago, I'll say it again. I'm convinced this poor guy hadn't been coached the entire time he's been, hadn't been coached properly the entire time he's been in the league. And there is just when you look at the flashes, some of the throws he makes, the things he can do, what he makes, what he does to a defense just because he's on the field. It's mm -hmm. like, are you going to throw that away and let somebody else reap the harvest? <laughs> exactly. When you don't have, a, you don't, you don't know what Caleb Williams is going to be or Drake may or Daniels, you know, they may turn out great. They may not. All I know is the guy playing in, in, in the championship game Sunday for, for San Francisco was the last freaking guy taken in the draft a year ago. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so um, you, you don't have to – and there's a lot of guys taken first overall that totally bomb. We know that. That's, mm -hmm. that's proven history. So, you know, from the – you know, putting my front office hat on, it just doesn't make sense to me that they would do it. And I had a big, you know, I had a big discussion with Kuiper yesterday about this and, and he's convinced, but that's, that's his shtick. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, so, um, but if you also notice, he changes his mind that more than a, than a seventh grade girl changes boyfriends <laughs> in the course of the day between now and there, he, you know, his, Mel, Mel's a great guy, but he goes with what, you know, whatever the, the hot take is. Yeah, I'm sure he well he's gathering information from his sources and so that might he might hear something today that says the Bears are definitely keeping Justin Fields. It might come from a source that he trusts more than somebody else, right? So right. and, and I do not believe that when Shane Waldron has a presser, you're gonna get a lot of answers. Maybe no. we will. Maybe yeah. there, you know, maybe there will be a definitive, but I don't think so. Because mm -hmm. that's not how you play the game. Mm -hmm. yep. you, you still got to play the game right. You got you got to play a little poker here. Mm -hmm. Bellissimo says, "Greg, they've done worse than not coach Fields. They've coached them out of what he did well and left him in limbo." Interesting comment there from Bellissimo and how he puts I that. Agree with that. Yeah, um, uh, Joe had a comment here, and you've been touching on it. Uh, Joe says, "What is the realistic timeline? Polls will decide on what to do with Fields in the number one pick." So clearly now that Shane is in the building, they want his input. They, they probably got all the tape on Justin Fields, evaluate this tape, and he'll have questions. Well, what was the OC running and so forth? And so that's all going to be a part of the calculation, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it should be. And and I'm sure that he's already done stuff. Now, they, they still got a higher quarterback coach. And – that guy's going to play into it too because he'll be just breaking down the player himself. Mm -hmm. You know, where, where, you know, Shane 
Well, let's back up a little bit first. And, and another one of the reasons why I think they're staying with, with JF. It comes from the exact same tree that, that Getsy came from. The scheme, there's no change in the scheme. The change in the scheme is you got somebody that knows how to use the frickin' thing, okay, yeah. and, and how to call plays, but a lot of the terminology is going to be the same. Yeah, are there going to be some changes in the playbook? Of course there are. But the transition for every single guy on offense is going to be relatively simple. And so, and people say, well, Caleb can play that. There's a, a, a comment right now. No, he played an air raid. He played in a totally different type of scheme. But, but that doesn't mean he can't or isn't capable. Now, I'm not going to take away from Caleb Williams' talent. Caleb Williams' talent is up here. Okay. I got questions about Caleb Williams, the person, and I got questions about what the hell happened to him the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. that he fell off. And, and I said it to Kuiper yesterday, and he agrees with me. I said, until you find out why, and I must have said this a thousand times the last month and a half, until you get an acceptable answer for why, then you got a question making that selection. And I don't care everybody says he's a generational quarterback. He's not a generational quarterback until he proves he's a generational quarterback. Okay, in the last half of the season, as a college player, he did not prove that. I have never seen a player like Andrew Luck. Did he fall off like that? No. Did did Trevor Lawrence fall off like that? No. And did Justin Fields totally outplay Trevor Lawrence in the college football playoff game? Yes. I mean, it was clear that he was the best guy on the field, and he was injured doing it. He had used. Yeah play with broken ribs from a hit he took early in the game. So the talent's there. He needs to be fixed. Yes. What uh, and, and by the way, I just want to say this, uh, because last week you talked just the same way you did today about questions regarding Caleb Williams' character. And then there were some people, I read some of the chat comments after the show that people who watched it on demand later. Why would Greg uh, you know, besmirched uh, this young kid by saying stuff about his character? Greg is well, not doing talk, that. I'm, t- I'm not talking about, don't forget, there's two parts of character. Personal mm-hmm. character, football character. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I am not saying he is a bad person. I am not saying that that his personal character is bad. I am questioning his football character. Mm-hmm. Okay, his drive, his passion for the game, his moodiness, his um, ability to be a diva asshole. Uh, Things like that. And there's things that I know that the general public don't know. And if they want to question me, go ahead and question me. I get better sources than 99.9% of the people in the media. My sources are general managers all over the league or scouting directors that I have known for as long as 40 years. There you go. All right. So, uh, again, Greg is not taking a shot at anybody. He's got questions. He's heard some things, and he's sharing them, and we're lucky enough to hear them out here. When you get him down and you talk to him, Mm -hmm. and that's not going to be at a 15, 20-minute interview at the combine. 
That's okay. not enough time. You need okay. a whole freaking day. Right. Okay. Right. And and then you're gonna work with them on a board, have a private workout. And I'm sure that if 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 they hold the pick until late because they, they want to make you know certain of their decision, they're gonna go through that whole thing. And not only with him, with, with the other guys too. And they're gonna come away thinking, okay, you know what, we're good. Mm-hmm. We'll take it. Or they're gonna say, no, I can't do it. There's a there's a risk. Yeah. And that's not just with Caleb, that's with every freaking player they take. You know, we'll go back to last year. We had a question on you know, this year or this time last year, who was gonna be the Bears pick? Jalen Carter. Where'd mm-hmm. Jalen Carter end up going? Number nine. Mm-hmm. Okay, why? Because there was issues. Okay, and you know, if you watch his play this year, another player that fell off the cliff the second half of the season was Jalen Carter. He was outstanding the first half of the season. Yes, he was. Second half of the season, non-existent, non-factor, yeah. as was the whole Philadelphia defense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so those things all come into play, but the Bears made a decision. He's a risk. I don't want to take the chance with the risk. Okay. And that could be. And, and hey, I know what I do. Knowing what I know, having been in that position where you've got to make a decision, mm-hmm. I know what I do. Now, could I get more information that changes my mind? Absolutely. This is right. drafting players is a very fluid situation. And so things as you get more information, things change. Do uh, J2K is asking Albert Bear reported Flus was in defensive fields, as we mentioned earlier, doing these OC interviews. Yep. Do, do you, Greg, know if this is true or speculation? And does it mean that fields is coming back? Yeah, I, I think that. You know, none of us were there, so we're taking a guess. Right. I know Albert. You know, we we chat. I I, I don't personally know him, but we chat. Okay. A lot. Okay. I, I got a whole long list of texts going back and forth of it, going back years. Mm-hmm. And he he's got very very good sources. And so he obviously was told something. The way I take this is Flus went in there saying, hey, we want this to work with this guy. That's how he stood up for him. We think the talent's there. We got rid of what we thought was one of the problems, the guy coaching him. Okay. And, and they got rid of the, the other problem position coach, wide receiver. And, you know, the, the – Lack of development in the wide receiver room is very, very, very obvious. And when you look at guys, you know, I was watching some tape the other day. Somebody put on on X the other day some throws, um, and they ended up all being to Moody. It was Fields, and most of the throws were to Moody, actually playing in Nagy's offense where he was getting the ball out of his hand, reading the field, going to a second, third. You know, doing things you want to see him do. And Moody was making some of these hellacious catches. And then you go, what the hell happened to this guy? Yes. You don't have the production that he had and then just die all of mm-hmm. a sudden. 
you know, to me, it, that's all coaching. And part, part of it is schematic that, you know, they, they were throwing favoritism to DJ Moore as they should. But in coaching a quarterback, you've got to, you know, you can't say you got to rely on this guy. You know, you got to spread the ball around. That makes DJ even better. By by spreading the ball around, now, granted, they need the Chase Cool Chase Claypool failure of a trade, and and part of that you might be able to put on the uh, the wide receiver, the former wide receiver coach too, because it's tight, a receiver yeah. that failed, and and mm-hmm. so, but that failure was you didn't have the big X that that gets you wanted in this offense mm-hmm. to be across from a Mooney and across from a DJ Moore. Now, and what's interesting is, you know, now that with Shane Waldron and you're going to be running pretty much the same scheme and Waldron has a quote, big X in DK Metcalf. So is when, when they put the, and the profiles of the positions could change a little bit at the skill positions could you say that he wants relatively the same types of players, which brings guys like Harrison and Odunze, it's up into the equation, maybe more than Malik Neighbors, because Malik Neighbors is is you know kind of like a DJ Moore clone when you look at, at size and speed. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and and where you know, Adunze and, and Harrison are big, long type of guys. The thing, the w- one reason, and I know I'm going all over the place today. It's like it's a, a, it's a speeding or something. The, um, <laughs> the one thing that really just jumps out at me about neighbors and what coaches really gravitate towards when they're evaluating players is the run after. That's there's a lot of guys who can catch the ball. What do they do after? And that's one of the reasons DJ Moore's so damn good. He's one of the better run after guys in in the NFL. Well, that's what neighbors is. Neighbors, there's no question that neighbors is the best run after the catch receiver in this class. There's nobody close to him. In fact, I would say that Odunze is better than Harrison on the run after, you know, but, you know, they don't have Harrison's name and lineage and right. a Hall of Fame dad. And, right. and, and trust me, I'm not taking anything away from Harrison because, you know what, give me any of those three and I'm happy because they're all damn good players and they got potential to be Pro Bowl type players. Well, before we start talking about Shane Waldron, I want to stay on the topic of wide receivers because Slick is asking, have you looked at tape of Xavier Leggett? And I I want to start looking at some of his tape. Yesterday, Dane Brugler was on the Hogan Johns podcast, and he said, you know, if the Bears don't get one of those top three, four receivers in the draft, then somebody on day two like a Xavier Leggett, you might have to trade up into the second round to get him. Uh, could be a great fit. This guy runs like a four, uh, maybe under a four four. He hasn't been timed yet, and he's long. He's like six three, six four. What do you know about Xavier Leggett? I've only done a little bit. And he is pretty good. He's the Western Kentucky guy, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and so he's playing against a little bit lower competition. Yeah, if if I if I don't get one of those top three, the next two, in my opinion, and are, is the other LSU receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Florida State receiver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The LSU, the other LSU kid, that freaking guy is good now. And and Dane, who does a great job, we got to have. No, that's the guy we got to get on, is Dane. Yeah. Um, the Dane's got him. I think is number four. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you know he's he's another good route runner, tall, long, fast, can adjust to the ball. You know all these guys fix that X mold. If that is exactly what Shane Waldron wants at X, now he, you know when he got to Seattle, they already had DK Metcalf, so it's not like he had to pick up DK to, you know, fit a role. The guy was already there, but it'll be interesting to see how he, you know, what his profile is for the different wide receiver positions. Mm-hmm. Um, I was corrected by Jordan. He's not from Western Kentucky. He's from South Carolina, but he is. Oh, that's right. That's, uh, the, the, the South. I, I was thinking of the Western Kentucky kid. Yeah, Malachi. Malachi yeah. Corley. Yeah, is. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks, Swift. Uh, but he uh, Xavier is six foot three, according to the team's website. So anyway, uh, what about Keon Coleman? Bellissimo yeah, and others that, that's are the Florida, Florida, good freaking football player. Yeah. So um, there's doesn't so, have the production that the other guys have, but they have another pretty good receiver too. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Big tall guy who runs pretty good. Uh, he's only one year at Florida State, transferred from Michigan State, was Michigan State's best receiver a year ago. And, uh, you know, another guy that, you know, he'll go over the middle. I, I look, when I'm doing receivers, I look at route running, separation, catch radius. I don't want to see guys catch the ball in here. I want, you know, the guys could really extend and, and got a large catch radius. Right. Uh, and, you know, the run after the blocking, are they willing to block? All they got, you can teach them how to block, but if they don't have a willingness to block, yep. Yep. then, you know, and especially here where it's important for those guys to block, as long as you got the willingness, you can teach them how to be a, a good blocker. Excellent stuff. All right, let's turn our attention to the hire of Shane Waldron. It was made official yesterday through the team's website. Uh, So a press conference, I'm sure, is going to come in a week or two. Shane Waldron is now the new offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears. Boy, oh, boy, I've I've heard a lot of really good things about Shane Waldron, but there have been some people who are not really high on the pick. One of the radio stations had on this guy named Softy Mahler. <laughs> he went down. He, he accused Shane of being boring, not a leader of men, yeah, and well, so forth. Them, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Know you. What? It, it, it's an excuse, excuse my language. That's the score dwells on negativity now. Well, it was their guess, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I just, I, I just don't, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And, but that's what they do. They, you know, they want. They want the negative. They're always going to push the negative. And I don't care what sport it is. It could be hockey, baseball, basketball. They're pushing the negative all the time, mm-hmm. and it, which, which bugs the hell out of me. That's why I don't listen to them anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's just – it's too much negativity. And, you know, I, I'll, 
I read it to you before. I, I got it in here. A text from a guy who worked from worked with Waldron for a number of years. Shane Waldron. Okay. Okay. So this and is somebody on, on his staff. And this somebody. was only now. I sent this guy a text after it came out that you know it was like the day after Pete Carroll got fired and, and news came out right away that the Bears put in a slip for permission to talk to him. Right. So um, I sent off a text right away to this guy because I know he had worked with him. I just got to find the damn text. Bear with me here. No problem. Uh, Jordan says Shane Waldron is a great hire, all things considered. Let's just not cast him as the next McVeigh or Shanahan. He's several levels below that. And I think, you know, uh, part of the, the intrigue with Shane Waldron is that it appears that he likes to pass the ball more than what Eberflus has kind of indicated that the offense should be. Uh, he threw there the ball is. about 60% of the time with the Seahawks. Go ahead, Greg. Okay. He did a fantastic job for us. He's the complete package as a leader, a teacher, a team guy, and he can shred defenses. That's there the you go. There you go. Very intriguing. Uh, so I'm excited about the hire. I, I've gone back and listened to a couple of his press conference. He is not the milquetoast guy, the softy guy was saying. I got the feeling that's a kind of, kind of a personal vendetta that that guy was on. So your thoughts about what kind of an offense is clearly a similar offense to what uh, Getsy ran, but what ex differences do you expect? You know, I haven't done enough of Seattle to really say that, okay. you know, mm -hmm. but he, it's going to be similar. He's going to be more similar to what McVeigh does in that scheme than what Shanahan does because of his closeness with McVeigh. Mm -hmm. But they're both very, very similar. Um, they... They take they, they use the crossing patterns. I you know I did a little tape yesterday, but I was really looking at the center, Evan Brown, who's going to be a a free agent, and we'll get into him in a little bit. Um, but just watching a little bit, I did parts of four games: um, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. Shit, I can't remember what the other two games were, but I did. Uh, like game three, game four, game 17, and then Baltimore was somewhere in the middle. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I like what they do. He attacks. Mm -hmm. He goes after the, the deep ball. And, and, you know, not having seen that quarterback play in a long time, he really did come on. You know, I mean, it was like a totally different player. Because, you know, I, and I think I've told the story before when I was with Philly. So this was 2013 draft. And it was right after Andy got fired. I was there, you know, that whole year. I was there for Andy's final season. And then, and, and in fact, Lewis Riddick was on a podcast talking about it, how, you know, talking about the culture in the building and how down everybody was you know, in the, that last month of the season. And we had our December scouting meeting. So this is just a, a few weeks before Andy gets fired. And I, right away when, Lu, when I heard Lewis bring that up, and, you know, Lewis was there at the same time. 
he was the director of pro scouting. And I, Lewis brought that up, and then I remembered it just hit me right away. When we went in for those scouting uh, meetings, it was like going to a freaking funeral home. Mm-hmm. You know, it was awful. And, and Lewis is right. Everybody's door shut because they're out, they know they're gone. So they're on the phone trying to find, you know, set themselves up for other jobs. When, when, when you're happy and you're winning and you know things are good, doors are open, people are in the hall talking, the whole atmosphere in the building is entirely different. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. <laughs> but anyway, we brought in Smith for an interview. And Gino, you know, a lot of people thought he was going to be a lock first round. He ended up going in the second round. Part of it was he bombed so bad in interviews. And what it was was just a, a nonchalance, you know. And and he was like, well, I'm too good for you, you know. Or, or why do you even have me here? I'm going to be gone before you have an opportunity to draft me. You know, that type of attitude. But he's sitting in, in Chip Kelly's office, and he's got his phone, and he's looking at his phone and looking at text and whatever, and, and Chip's trying to, to talk to him. He just threw him out of the office. Good. You know, you know and, and it's like, and then when you see how his career started, mm-hmm. it all came into place because that didn't change. Yeah. yeah. Table was there, mm-hmm. but the head wasn't there. Yeah. And, and the football character is what it gets down to, that passion for the game, the drive to be a great player. Mm-hmm. And – but all of a sudden, now fast forward, just a journeyman guy bounces around, failed as a starter, but then he, he goes to Seattle and they get rid of Russell. So he's got to be the guy. Or they were going to hope he was going to be the guy. But who turned him in, helped turn him into the guy? Shane Waldron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I can't it's... even say, I can't say Greg Olson because Greg was only there this year. Greg right. wasn't there in 22, and, and, and actually uh, Gino got, went to the Pro Bowl after the 22 season. Mm-hmm. Based on uh, what you know, uh, and I know you're collecting, still collecting information, do you think that a Greg Olson could come over with Shane to coach quarterbacks? Yeah, I was hoping so, but right now when they, I saw you know four guys were coming in for interviews and he wasn't one of them, mm-hmm. You know, and, and the guy that is coming in is you got the running back coach coming in, and I can't remember all the names. You got Sanjay Lyle, the wide receiver coach, who's one of the better wide receiver coaches in football. And you've got the assistant quarterback coach. Now, could he be could he be being interviewed for the assistant quarterback coach here? Yes, but what tells me, I, I just think right now, you know, Greg has had a very successful career. He's been an OC. He interviewed for this OC job. He wanted this OC job. He might have other things going. He probably does have other things going. What we don't, if he put it, I'll put it this way: if he does have other things going, he already knows about it because you know if yeah, I just throw a name up. Let's just say Harbaugh. You know, just to, I, and I'm not connecting. You know, I'm just throwing a, a okay. card at the wall just for the sake of conversation. Let's say Harbaugh says, well, if I take a job here, I want you to do this for me. You know, so because they already start putting their staff together, 
as they're going through the interview process, because as part of the interview process for, for head coaches, you're relaying who your staff is. This is my number one guy for offensive coordinator. If I can't get him, this is my number two guy. This is my number three guy. You know, and what they do, and you're doing that for your whole group of coaches. Because that, that that's one of the reasons you're getting fired is because they think you can put together a strong staff. Perfect example was Lovey. Lovey's guy for defensive coordinator here was Marinelli. Okay, and Marinelli wanted to come. Tampa Bay wouldn't let him go. And so that's how we ended up with Ron Revere. Wow, okay. All right, uh, let me uh, – we've got a 13 questions or so in the queue and more are coming in. Let's tackle a few of these. Uh, let's start with Creighton who asks, okay, I've been asking this question for a while. I hope to get an answer for my own record. What do the Bears look for in a one-tech? Because I think Tavondre Sweat in round two or three would be an amazing – uh, would be amazing along with Billings. So what is the a player profile for this one tech position? I don't know if, if, well, Billings is a little bit different, but Billings is like a bigger version of um, Adams. Anthony Adams? Had, yeah. And, you know, Spice was, wasn't even six feet tall. But he was like this wide <laughs> and very quick, very strong. And you can see, I mean, he's pretty, even now, years after he's out of the game, just doing his goofball stuff on X, you can see he's still pretty damn athletic. Mm -hmm. And um, when you go back and, and you look at, at Biggins back in college, he was a very, very athletic guy. Now he's bigger. He is a big, powerful man. But really, what when you look at the – well, the profile, Flusa's profile is a little bit different than what we had. We want a little smaller guy. Like, we only had one 300-pound D for two, really. Dusty Dvorak was like 303. But, you know, Spice Adams was about 295, maybe 300. Um, we had one guy, I can't think of what his name is. And he was like 320, but he was like six foot six. You know, he was like Gravat and Dexter. Um, but most of our guys, uh, tank 300, 302, around in there, but very athletic. You know, like Tank Johnson ran a 475. I mean, you, you don't find guys like that, two linemen coming out. And, and, and Tommy Harris was a sub 47. Wow. I mean, th those were rare guys we got in one draft. But these guys seem to want a little bigger guy inside mm -hmm. than what we had. So that because I've noticed that just because I remember when I when I had a conversation with Ryan at the East West, I said, you know, I specifically asked if the position profile is similar to what we had. He said almost identical. But then when you saw who we brought in, it did change because he wanted bigger, girthier guys you know to hold up against the run so at the same time they still have to be athletic they still have to be penetrators so they, they, you don't want a two-gapper because you're playing mm -hmm. a one-gap scheme so you got to be able to and, and i'm sure most of the people know the difference 
put a two gappers line and head up, say on the center, head up on the guard. He controls two gap, gaps. He doesn't necessarily penetrate, but he doesn't let the, the guy over him go anywhere. You know, he's just controlling him at the line of scrimmage. And where the penetrator, which is what we always had and what they want here, you're playing, it's a one-gap scheme. You're shooting gaps. You're trying to get into the backfield. You're trying to disrupt the run game and get mm -hmm. pressure in the pass game. So you're really being asked to do two different things. The player he asked about, I haven't done. So I, I can't tell you if he's a total fit or not, uh, but I will do him. And, um, you know, we'll go from there because when we get into that stage, we'll go over a lot of players. But just to kind of set the table for what Aldo and I are going to do, you know, obviously now we're going to be talking about coaches and stuff, but then it's free agency. Let's take this one step at a time because what happens, the, the draft, what they do in the draft, won't be determined until after what they do in free agency. They go hand in hand, and you're going to look at, I can get this player, I can get this type of player in the draft, and I can't get this type of player in free agency. So, you know, those things can go hand in hand, but still you can't make your plans. Perfect example, last year, you know, he, he went hard after McGlinchey. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't going to pay McGlinchey that huge guarantee that he got. So he plows up. Screw it. I'm, I'm, I'll draft him, which is what he did. And really, in the long run, that was ended up being the better move for the Chicago Bears. Yeah. I won't argue with that one. So it's, you know, let's, let's take one thing at a time and get through free agency. And we'll talk about what they could do or they couldn't do. You know, who's going to be a, they don't have to make butts uh, for cap purposes, but mm -hmm. there probably will be at least one, maybe more than that. I was going through the roster today. There's one I, I, I'm pretty damn sure won't be here. And after that, you know, I, the other guy, they may say, well, we want you, but you got you got to get a haircut. <laughs> well, how long was this here? <laughs> Well, that's what we used to call it. You know, he's, got to, he's, got, he's got to get a haircut. I get it. Chop off, <laughs> chop off some of that big salary you're getting. Um, I love it. Yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to that at another time. But, I, you know, it, it'll be. What I, what I want to do here is go through the process like a front office goes through the process. Mm -hmm. And you do one thing at a time. Yeah, yeah. You know, right now you're getting into, I mean, obviously you're trying to put a staff together, you know, mm -hmm. the rest of an offensive staff and one or two defensive coaches. And I want to remind me, I want to talk about that. Okay. On, on the defensive side, but then they got, you know, starting at Saturday or Sunday, the East West practices start. Right. And high towers coaching one of the teams. Mm -hmm. There'll be probably four people. Last year, Ryan and Ian were out there and a couple other scouts. Uh, and then they'll, the way it works is that, you know, practice doesn't start at the Senior Bowl until Tuesday, I think, Tuesday afternoon. So you can go to the East-West because the East-West game is on Thursday. 
get the good practices. And the East West is in Dallas this year, not in Vegas. So right. the proximity is a lot closer. It's not like you got to do a cross country flight. You know, you can get done in Dallas at the East West on, on Monday and head over to Mobile for the practice Tuesday afternoon or go, go Tuesday morning for Tuesday afternoon practice. And, and you're in great shape. Uh, let's uh, stay on the topic of free agency. And I'm sure, you know, some of these names that are popping up here, you may not have had a chance to look at. But Sam asked about uh, free agent defensive tackle Justin Madubiki. Madubiki. Who, he, could he uh, be a possibility to help the team at the three-tech position? Uh, he Justin might be the best defensive tackle in football right now. And there's no way in hell that Baltimore's going to let his ass out of town. You know, and then even if they did, he's probably going to cost twenty-five million. You know, Wait. so you and and what people don't understand is the one thing I've gotten from Ryan Poles is he knows how he wants to work the cap, and that's not overloading one position with money. Right. You've got to spread it around. Right now. Tez Sweat's getting, I think his cap figure for next year is $24 million mm -hmm. or something like that. They can give it anybody else $20 million. You know, it just, that's how you kill your team because you're loading up on one area. And 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 look at what they did in the draft last year. They First, they extended Biggins, mm -hmm. and then they drafted two guys who played pretty darn good as rookies. Why are you going to go out and spend $20 million? $25 million on another guy when you may have that guy already here. And personally, I think that they would, before they'd spend $25 million on him, and I'm not taking anything away from the player. The player's a great player. It's just how you, you put a team together. But Jones had a pretty damn good year. Yeah. Okay. And when you, and again, you, you got to learn how to read between the lines and the names they bring up. He was one of the first names they brought up in the presser. Interesting. So <laughs> it, you, you're going to get him back for four million bucks mm -hmm. or something like that. So, and in the rotation that, you know, they want Dexter and Bick and uh, Pickens to be play even a bigger role than they did this year. This was the learning year. And, and Gervon Dexter, I'll say right now, Gervon Dexter outplayed Jalen Carter the last half of the season. Last six games. I won't say the full last half. Last six games, Gervon Dexter outplayed Jalen Carter. He's got a chance to be an elite defensive tackle in this league. Okay, so why are you going to take away reps from him and pay a guy $25 million? And I, granted, I know what that player is, but you got to put there's places you got to spend money all over, and you got to pick and choose where you're going to spend that money. I think you know that is if anyone walks away with any information from this show, that might be the biggest piece of knowledge you should remember. It's not about you know, you don't want to spend 25% of your cap on one position. 
you know, and so if they were to make a big free agent signing on the defensive line, then you you would be giving up 25%. And so that might be a signal that they're, they're not interested in paying Justin Fields, you know, for his fifth year, for a sixth year and so forth, that they are have already decided that they're going to get that rookie contract at the quarterback position. And so, uh, but beyond that, it's, it's about cap management and uh, something that Ryan uh, Pace did not do so well in his no, time in Chicago. Yeah. And another example would be wide receiver. I've seen a lot of people say, well, they got to go out and get the Tampa Bay guy. Evans is going to be a wide receiver. Right. Be a free agent. Well, he didn't get out of Tampa Bay, number one. No you way. Know, but number, I mean, half the names that are out there right now are going to be under contract before mm-hmm. free agency starts in, in seven weeks. Okay. They're going to get new deals with their team. But you're already paying DJ. I think his cap number for next year is around 18. Okay, even, you know, when you put it all out. But they're not going to go with a, a receiver that's going to be 31 years old and going to cost them 20-plus million dollars. Mm-hmm. It's not happening based on just look at who he spends his money on. Mm-hmm. Is it, he might sign a 30-year-old for a one-year deal, he ain't given a 30-year-old multi-year deal. That's yeah. not the way he does business because he knows the guys like that are final pieces to the puzzle. You know, and, and okay, I need one guy to get me over the top. You know, and and I got enough money to do it, and he could be a difference maker. But that they're a long way away from that era, that time frame or that that period where they're one guy away. It's like people say they should draft Bowers as a tight end. Bowers would be a luxury pick to take him where you got to take him this year. They already extended Komet. And Komet's proven to be one of the better tight ends in the league. Not the same type of player, but Bowers is a number two tight end here. Because mm-hmm. Komet's number one, and that ain't changing. And they really play two positions. Komet's the Y, who can play some flex, where Bowers is strictly a flex. Move, F, H, however you want to call them, depending on the, you know, what the scheme calls them. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to do that with a first-round pick. And when, you, when you've got other areas that you've got to shore up. Exactly. Sam Rush reminds us that the commanders have spent uh, have two twenty million dollar plus defensive. Yeah, they, had, they got rid of two of them too. Yeah, the two because the they had a problem. Players. They got rid of Sweat and they got rid of Young. Right. All right. Uh, let's uh, choose another question here. I want to see if I got a, a free agency question since we were on this topic. Zach says, "Is there a center?" or a safety that you want in free agency. And there's been a couple of people who have said, you know, should we consider uh, bringing back Bojack uh, uh, at the safety position if he's willing to uh, rework his contract? Because he's still on the contract for next season. So I'll bundle that. He was who I was referring to as might need a haircut. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, only because he, he's a good player. Mm-hmm. He's a leader. He's re- highly respected in the locker room. He makes the other guys better around him. When Brisker and him were in there together, they play better. Mm-hmm. Okay, but 
is he giving you back 15 or 16 million dollars in production yeah okay so now it it becomes a matter of okay if you want to stay here we want to keep you but we got to rework this deal okay we got to get into a, a, a fair situation here now he can say screw you no I'm, I'm doing this and then you know they wave them and and the deal becomes null and void and what's he going to get and and that's where players sometimes err because they think well i'm, I'm going to get the same money somewhere else well maybe you are and maybe you are you know and and you know where he can still make pretty darn good money here but you know that's going to be a decision between really poles and flues because flues yeah. runs the defense and and then going from there um center position right now they don't have one. okay and my personal opinion i could go on for 20 minutes on this one but my personal opinion is the best thing to do is to sign a free agent Okay, and you and the reason being is, and I wrote about this in Windy City that'll be out probably in a couple hours. Oh, cool! It might be up now for all I know, but I know it wasn't when we started, and it probably won't. He usually puts that up around three, four in the afternoon. Okay. Anyway, you got a a young offensive line right now, and. The center is the glue, and he's got to be very astute, very football smart. He's making your line calls. He's basically directing traffic for the, the line when he comes to the line of scrimmage. And you don't have a – now, you can have a guard do that. But right now, you got Tevin, who's been two years at the guard position and missed time because of – injuries and then you got nate davis and i you know i'm gonna nate did not have a good year did not play as good as he did in tennessee in the past but to me you got to give nate a pass his mom died right at the beginning of the season that had to and number one that's why he missed a lot of time in preseason and 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 otas and everything else his mother was extremely sick and he had to take care of business so to me, he gets a pass, and you're going to see a different player uh, next year. At least, I, at least I hope so. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but he's not. It's only a second year in this system. There'll be some slight changes in the system. Is he the guy that you want coming up to the line of scrimmage and making line calls and stuff? I just, you know, I I don't see it as the perfect scenario. So if you stick a center in there, unless that guy is really special, or a rookie center, you know, he's not able to do that either. And, and you're going to find that out. I mean, you could get a guy in the fifth round that could be that. That's one nice thing about that. You know, Jason Kelsey just played his last game. He was a fifth-round pick or a sixth-round pick. You know, there's a lot of good centers that weren't high picks, but they got a lot going on upstairs mm-hmm. and they're tough son of a guns. And, you know, it's funny because, and, and I said this in, in the article, most of my career have been around really good centers. We had, 
you know, Bart Oates in New York who was perennial pro bowler. And then Brian felt him. Brian Williams followed him. was a first round pick. was a pretty good player. Not as good as Bart. Come here and you, you got Olin Krooks who's not in the Hall of Fame, but probably one day will be in the Hall of Fame and the best center I've been around. I spent a year in Philly as a, as a consultant. You got Jason Kelsey. I mean, I've always been around good freaking centers. Nice. You know, so, but it's also taught me how important that player is to the play of the entire line. Mm-hmm. So I got, you know, there's one guy, so get what, get Connor Williams. Well, Connor Williams tore his ACL in December, like a month ago, a little, maybe five weeks ago. He's going to miss at least the first half of the season. And he might even miss all next season because he won't be able to be the, and even if he plays, he won't be able to be the player he is right. He was before the injury. You won't see that until 25. Mm-hmm. Okay. So are you going to spend a lot of money on him? No, that's not happening. Especially coming off the ACL. There's two players that you're going to get relatively cheap. Now, I don't know how the Bears feel. I just did my own little work. One is uh, Evan Brown played for Seattle last year. Evan was originally an undrafted free agent from SMU. You go back and you look at his testing numbers, you go, holy shit. I mean, you know, why didn't he get drafted? Now he's a lot bigger. He was 302, 303 when he came in, between 315 and 320 now. He's a big, brawny guy. He's about six two and a half. Not quite six three. Stays on his feet. He's never going to be a pro bowler, but he's a big upgrade to Lucas Patrick. And you're going to get him at a very reasonable price. Plus, he played for Seattle last year. So he played for Shane Waldron. He already knows what Shane Waldron does. And so it's like you're just, you can put him right in and he's ready to lead the group. Hmm. The other guy, and I haven't known as much on it, but he's really interesting. His name is, uh, well, shit, now I'm drawing a blank. Where's my thing? Um, is it? Uh, Aaron Col- Brewer. Aaron Brewer from Tennessee. Okay. Another guy was an undrafted free agent. Uh, been with Tennessee the last four years. Been a starter for two years. And going back to Brown. Brown is again started 40 games over the last three years. He was with Detroit in 21 and 22 with Seattle, started 16 of 17 games for Seattle this past year. Um, Mm -hmm. They started 24 games for Detroit in 21 and 22. So he picked up a lot of experience since coming into the league as as a UDFA. Brewer isn't as big. 295, 300. And Olin played at 290 or less. And, and Kelsey's 288, 287. And if you watch the game Sunday, you saw Kelsey running around without a shirt on. And the thing, you know, he isn't a real big guy. No, he's not. I was surprised. <laughs> See the pictures of him? He was out in the park with the uh, Bills fans before the game, drinking out of a bowling ball and stuff. <laughs> Amazing guy. <laughs> and people uh, were saying that is the real Jason Kelsey. He wasn't doing is. that for cameras or anything. He's a nutcase. <laughs> I and, love it. In a very positive way, I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, 
He loves life. <laughs> but anyway, Brewer, but two years started in Tennessee. Right. And he, you know, he played right next to Nate Davis when Nate Davis had his, his best year. Mm-hmm. You know, so that helps Nate Davis right off the bat. Yeah. That's, that's um, a good point. He has very quick feet, which is very suitable for this offense, right? Right. And and even though he's not tall guy, six two, like six yeah. one and three quarters. But you can go back, you know, Allen from the Rams is a local kid from down Hinsdale area, who the Bears really went after hard, but then ended up not getting him. He resigned with the Rams and he uh um uh they ended up going with Patrick then. Mm-hmm. But Allen's only six one and a half. Mm-hmm. You can get away with, you know, a shorter center. Kelsey's six two. Owen's just a little over six two, six two and a quarter, something like that. But they got to be strong. Now this guy, this brewery guy, got real long arms for a shorter guy. He got like thirty two and three quarter inch arms, which are for for a guy not quite six two. That's pretty darn long arms, you mm-hmm. know. And he's strong. He stays on his feet. So I, I would say that's two guys that fit the bill that aren't going to cost you an arm and a leg. And right from the day they sign a contract, they're an upgrade over Lucas Patrick. Okay. Now, now the conversely, and I've said about, you know, drafting a guy is, is he capable of handling what you're asking the center to do, especially with such a young line? That the, mm-hmm. that the Bears said. The other thing is, is he a center only? Because if he's a center only and can't play guard and he doesn't start, that poor guy isn't even dressing on Sunday. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because you've got to have position versatility. You know, so now when you look at some of the, the, the centers in this draft, the like Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon is, you know, by most people, the number one center. Dane Brugler said that he could see him going late in round one, which yeah, I, was which amazing. Is, is a possibility, but he's got extensive experience playing guard. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've got swing capability with him. Another guy who's not going to go anywhere near as high, but is a good player, Bo Limmer from Arkansas. Yeah. Bo's only played center one year. He was a three-year starter at guard for mm-hmm. Arkansas and a pretty good player. Not a brownie player. One of the real interesting guys is um, Zach Frazier from West Virginia. Yeah, Brugler likes him a lot. Yeah, he is. He played one year at guard. Then he's been a three-year starter at center. But he started one year at guard. So all those guys have, have had – the experience of playing guard. The one guy who I think is a very good player, but hasn't played guard, but has the athleticism to play guard, is the Georgia guy, mm-hmm. Cedric Van Brent. You know, he's been strictly a center at Georgia, been a three-year starter, and he's a damn good player. Um, and there's there's going to be other guys. That's just just four names, but to me, it's really if if you got a Rookie, he better be able to play guard. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. All right, let's uh, tackle some more questions here. Uh, 
go to the top here because Ninja offered a lot of questions before. So we'll pick a few. Uh, Ninja says, which is better, a quarterback on a rookie contract or getting extra draft picks? A couple of firsts, seconds, and thirds, and fourths. So that is the the, the uh, multi-million dollar question, right? Uh, do what, you was that, keep, what was that show, $64 million question? Six, it was 64000 but oh, now inflation. Yeah, it's, a big, it's a big billion now. I mean, yeah, really. Uh, um, $64,000 question. Hell, that's show change now. I, mean, <laughs> I hear you. So even though we both wish we had it. Damn right. <laughs> you know, it, it's a good question. In all honesty, I think it's irrelevant, the situation. Okay. Okay. How can it be irrelevant? Because you're not – everybody thinks you're forced into picking up that fifth-year option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're not. You don't have to. Make him earn it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, are you gambling? You have to do it, you know, first week in May, by, by the first week of May. And – you can choose not to, but now you're putting the pressure on the kid. Produce. Now, let, let, let's say they trade back and they end up getting a number one next year. So then they'd have two number ones next year. They can be back in the quarterback derby again with two number ones. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that's one of the, the valuable parts of, of trading back. But you're putting the pressure on Justin to play to his talent level and earn the money. And if he earns the money, you're more than happy to pay him. You know, they went in to this year thinking that sooner or later they got to pay the guy. You know, so that's already been built into the thing. You know, you don't have to say, oh, no, you're going to have to pay him. Yeah, but don't forget this. You start a rookie, and I don't want to hear about Scrabble. Because that's a once in every 15 year thing. The last time that happened was like 2009 or 2008, where a rookie quarterback got his team into the playoffs. It doesn't happen. You draft a rookie and you start him, you're losing. Okay, what's happening then? Are we having a turnover again in, in the coaching staff? You know, you're putting a lot of pressure, and, and is that the right thing to do? You know, where really the best, this team, the way it is, they, yeah, they only won seven games, could have very easily won 10. And so they were like this far away from the playoffs, not this far. The gap isn't that huge. And so you coach this kid. And you get him to play the way you think he can play. Mm-hmm. How is the team better off? And on top of that, what you get back in trading. Exactly. <clears throat> All right. Let's get another ninja question in here. He says, um, yes. Why did Robert Tunyon struggle? He was a good tight end with the Packers at two 50-catch seasons. Uh, one, one of those seasons was a 10-touchdown season. Came from Green Bay. Was it the offense that Getsy was running? <laughs> we can go back to that $64,000 question again. If you want. <laughs> exactly. I mean, really, it's like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, when, when, when Komet was hurt, he had some production there at the mm-hmm. end of the year. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that goes back to to Getsy. Yeah, has to. Why? Why weren't you? Why was Moody being used? Why wasn't this guy being used? Mm-hmm. You know, why weren't they a bigger part in the scheme? Why were the plays you're calling always having DJ Moore as number one? You yeah. know. Why were, you, why were you running six to eight freaking bubble screens a game? You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. So, yeah, Tanyan was a hell of a player. Yeah, he was. And he had two, his two previous years before he came here, he had 50 plus catches, I believe. There and, was a, one, one injury season in between those. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. He, but he's, he, you know, the guy, he's got the skins on the wall. Mm-hmm. It's, I go back to the same thing I said about Mooney. Players don't fall off like that. Could it be, uh, Greg, that yeah. it was part of Justin Fields' problem in terms of not going through progressions? Now, you know, it, it, could that be one of the factors? Because I'm sure there were multiple. Okay, could it? Yes. Okay, I can't sit here. Okay, Is it? No, because how often, when you look at the snap count, mm-hmm. his snap count wasn't that yeah. So perhaps there wasn't a connection in practice. And so they make so many of their decisions on the play calling for the game based on practice. I, you know, I don't know if I buy that only because, you, you know, your, your game plan shouldn't necessarily be made on practice. Your game plan should be made on how am I beating the guy we're playing on Sunday? Right. What are his weaknesses or what are their weaknesses? Mm-hmm. How do I attack those weaknesses? Yeah. And that's where I think. Guess he failed. He didn't know how to do that. Yeah, he might have known the scheme. You know, the the X's and O of the scheme, but yeah. not know how, and I use the word implement, not know how to implement that scheme. Are you surprised that Getsy is getting an interview with the Raiders oh, for yeah. their offensive coordinator job? And somebody asked earlier, do you think that that could be just because they want to acquire some information on fields? Because perhaps they're thinking about a trade for Justin Fields. Well, I mean that you know the the the, the CW lovers. That's their number one thing. See, they're bringing him in so they can get all this information. Mm-hmm. Um, and he could, yeah. Is it? Who the hell knows? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Nobody knows nothing. Is the old expression. John Falsetta says, uh, "What do you think about?" Uh, the Bills wide receiver Gabe Davis signing a free agent contract with the Chicago Bears. No, Gabe ain't going to be cheap. Yeah, he'll be uh, pretty good 16. player. He is he is an ideal X. If what put if, I'll, I'll say it this way: If you're going to sign a Gabe Davis as a free agent, mm-hmm. you aren't drafting a guy. You're not drafted. I mean, Gabe Davis has only been in the league four years. So he's a young guy. He's big. He gets open deep. He's had some outstanding games. He is a little inconsistent. Um, you know, he has his drops here and there. Uh, but he comes up big when he needs to come up big. You know, and a lot of times that's in the playoffs. They really missed him this week. You know, he had a uh, strained PCL. So he got hurt in the last game against Miami. 
and then didn't play against Pittsburgh, didn't play against Chiefs in, uh, in the two playoff games. And that was really an important piece that they were missing. But saying that, I can't see the, the Bills bringing it back. As it looks right now, projection right now, they're $43 million over the cap already. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, they're one of the big ones. And, mm-hmm. you know, so they're going to have to get rid of a lot of players and not be able to sign players. So where are they going to, you know, where are they going to get the money to sign to Gabe Davis? Now, Gabe Davis being that he had a strain. Now, I read today it might have been a torn PCL. But a torn PCL 20 years ago was looked at as a serious injury. And then there's been a lot of guys who've played and had great careers without a PCL. Mm. You know, so it, it's um, it's not – and, and the, one of the greatest, Thurman Thomas. Oh, my goodness. In fact, you know, Mark Bowen, one of the uh, uh, Bears orthopedics, he was telling me, it's because of him and, and mostly him that – Doctors around the league change their thinking on PCL injuries. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Uh, Jeff Fuller says, Greg, what are the odds? Oh, I think we covered this. What are the odds they both they sign both a free agent center and draft one relatively early, like day two? That seems like a huge investment. A early center, uh, early pick devoted to the center position and signing a free agent. Yeah, I, I can't. See, I can see him signing and drafting one late. Yeah, that you would know, be and, uh, I mean, I have, I, I've mentioned it before. I just don't know if he's capable. The coach would know that. I, I don't know enough about the kid to do it. To me, I'd work to Tyree Carter at center. Mm-hmm. Is he capable of doing it? Yeah. We know he's a pretty good guard. We've seen it. Yes, indeed. Okay, so, but... You know, a different position, and you're asking him to do some things. Is he capable of doing? I, I don't have the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Gibson, Greg, they want to operate a West Coast system, quick decisions, accurate, and on-time passes. That's not really uh, Justin's shtick. Why would you say? Why would you say stay with a scheme he hasn't really succeeded with? Because they didn't use the scheme the way it's supposed to be used. Right. And we've seen him be able to do that. See, I, I I will not agree with anybody who tries to throw that argument at me. Mm-hmm. You know, and and only because of you know things I know. We talked about uh, his his slow pass set, especially when he's from under center, that which should have been fixed. You know, a moron coach should be able to see that and fix it because when you compare them, you know, put, put guys back to back or, you, you know, in, in, in the digitized films that uh, that they have in the office, they can do that. They can have half the screen, say, being uh, Herbert and half the screen being JF or half the screen being Mahomes or Josh Allen and half the screen being JF. And you can have similar type plays and you can watch the difference in how quickly they do things just from a mechanical standpoint, setting up and things like that. And, you know, my guy says it ain't even close yet. He's the most athletic of all of them. So why is that? Who's that? Yeah. Mr. Getty. Uh, let's see. We've got. 
and Janaka. Boy, I never saw him interviewed. I, I wouldn't recognize him if he was in the room with me right here. Uh, Tomek says, I saw that Justin is still working hard. Is this typical of other NFL players immediately after the end of the season? I think that that is a big deal. Justin going back to work, working out and uh, staying in shape. What do you think? Oh, they, they're pro athletes. They're going to keep working out. I mean, they're, they're workout warriors. They're not going to all, you know, when they, taking off means they're not getting the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> That's right. Doesn't mean doesn't mean that they're not going to work out. I mean, you know, I mean, before I had my lung problem, you know how many times a day I went or a week I went to the gym, and I'm an old car. You know, it, it's part of it's vanity. You want to look good. You want to feel good. Yeah, but, yeah. But here's one interesting thing. Again, I, it, it's it's just a guess because he can go home. Sure, you got places at home where you know he can work out. There's a video he's at, at Palace Hall. All those guys can get in and work out whenever the hell they want. Mm -hmm. You know, so but do you think that if the coaching staff or Ryan Poles gave him an inclination that he isn't gonna be here, you'd see a video of him working out in Palace Hall. That's interesting. But I, to be honest with you, and I know this is a different administration, but it was the Bears that really did Mike Lennon dirty. <laughs> they sent them to a draft party, and they draft Mitchell Trubisky. Poor guy's signing autographs, shaking hands, and the pick is in, and Mitch Trubisky. I, I mean – that that was some dirty stuff right there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, John asks, what the, do you think of Leonard Williams, the former Giants defensive tackle? I believe he's a free agent this year. Uh, you yeah, want to I, don't, I don't think they're tough in the defensive tackle position. Yeah. I, you I, know, we I, talked I about that before. The other, I, why they drafted a guy at two and three and mm -hmm. re-signed Biggins. Yeah. And and the same thing with Saquon Barkley and uh, Henry. There's no chance that the Bears are going to bring in these old, not old, but you know they got a lot of tread on the tires. Two running backs Saqu for a win. Saquon's had already had a torn ACL. Yeah, He's had flashes, but he has not been the exact same guy he was before he tore that ACL. Yep. Okay, and. When running backs fall off the cliff mm -hmm. or come down the elevator, they're on the express elevator. Mm -hmm. They're not stopping at every floor now. They're going top to bottom real, real quick. And and we see it a lot with running backs, that their yeah. game can change from one season to the next because their legs, they just don't have that that zip in their legs anymore, that explosiveness in their legs. You know, mm -hmm. so um, – and, and that's one of the reasons teams don't want to pay them. Because they know that if I give you a second contract, I might be stuck. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I might get a year out of you. I might get a year and a half out of you, but I got to get, you know, to get you, I got to give you a four-year deal. Yeah. And three and four are going to be our wasted money, and I'm getting killed on it. 
it's a tough world for, for running backs. Uh, Tony, the pod boss, I'm going to change his question a little bit. If Shane Waldron uh, tells Eberflus and Post, listen, I really, really believe that if we bring Tyler Lockett here to work opposite DJ Moore, I can make this offense hum. Can we figure out a way to sign Tyler Lockett? What would you say to that? I would say that would probably be a, a possibility. You know, I, obviously, what's it going to cost? I, you know, I know Ryan looks at age and, and injury history mm-hmm. and use, there's a lot of analytical formulas he uses in that, um, okay, what are the analytics of a guy who's had X certain injury, already played a couple years, what are the, you know, what are the chances of him playing 17 games next year? That Things like that are always floating around in the back of his mind when he wants to pay money. That's why he's reluctant to, to pay older players. Right. Okay. So, and I don't know how old Tyler is. Hell, I know I scouted him. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I haven't been full-time scouting in a while. Um What I wanted to do, and I just never got around to doing it, was I wanted to see who the prospective free agents are on the offensive side of the ball from Seattle. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I meant to do that. Yeah, let's and, do that and, next week. Jack Willis says uh, Bears need an X. Yes, they do. Absolutely do. Absolutely. Uh, you know, they, I mean, that is a, a huge need. Mm-hmm. My only question is, does the profile that we had for X the last two years still the same profile? And we don't know that until somebody tells us that. And you can't assume it because he had DK Metcalf. Because like I say, he didn't draft DK Metcalf. He inherited DK Metcalf. But he's pretty good. And and so I'm going to assume they would still prefer a bigger guy. But and right now, the only real big guy they got is, is EQ, and he's out of contract. Yeah, I don't see EQ coming back, but never know. Danger T has an interesting question. He says, hey, Greg, I heard Lewis Riddick, and he said that the wide re- wide receiver position is becoming more important than the left tackle. Would you agree? Also, is Marvin Harrison worth the early pick over an offensive lineman? No, interesting. I can't, I can't. I can't agree with Lewis that – a wide receiver is more important than a left tackle. I can't believe more, he said that. <laughs> uh, once, and I know Lewis well. I mean, I've known yeah. Lewis since he was at Pitt. Um, you know, I worked Lewis out when he was, you know, getting ready for the draft. I went to Pitt and worked him out, spent a whole day with him, worked with him at the Eagles. I know he's a great guy, and he's very, very, very knowledgeable. Um, and he's done a great job working for ESPN. He's making a lot more money at ESPN than he ever would have made in the league. <laughs> so, you know, he, he ended up doing the right thing. And he got screwed over in Philly big time mm-hmm. 10 years mm-hmm. ago, but that that's another story. Anyway, and it was all part of the, the Chip Kelly coming in thing. And, yeah. and Chip right. wanted to have a couple of his own people, and so Lewis you know, was the director of pro scouting and he was like the odd man out and he mm-hmm. did, didn't, didn't deserve to be. Um, 
anyway, it, it's I to me, left tackle is one of the premier positions in football. Okay, and the real good ones go high. If you look at, you know, I always talk draft history, and, and a lot of times, and a lot of people do this. I'm, it's not like something I invented. It, it, it's you go back 10 years and you look at averages. And and the reason you want to do that is to figure out, okay, I got to get a certain position. Okay, where's the fall-off line? Okay, and if I'm forced on taking the fifth tackle, where's that, or the fifth left tackle, where am I going to get that fifth left tackle? And that's where you use previous drafts because you get a number, like, you know, the corner position, and it goes back, we can go back over 20 years. It's never changed in 20 years. 12 to 15 corners are going in the first three rounds. It happens every year. You might have had one exception. That's the formula. So you know that. If I want to have a guy that I got rated in the top 12, I got to take him by the third round. Or I, you know, or there's going to be a follow-up. Now, you know, you get Terrell Smith this year, they got in the fifth round, who's going to be a pretty damn good player. Personally, I had him as a third-round guy myself. For whatever reason, you know, the league had him different. So, um, but when you look at the wide receiver position, the last time a wide receiver went number one was when Keyshawn Johnson got drafted. A long time ago. Yep. Then I think it was 13 – that um, and I can't think of the guy's name. Was wide receiver from Clemson, Buffalo. Doug Whaley was the GM at the time. Doug traded up, and gave up a shitload to take the Clemson receiver, who ends up really being a bust. And you know, a, a journeyman floated around, played for about five different teams, never lived up to being. The, he was the fourth pick in the draft. Okay, then you go and and. Lamar Chase is at five. He's the next highest guy. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of receivers go between five and ten, especially in the last few years, but you don't see him going between one and four. Okay, because you're taking the positions that matter most, quarterback, pass rusher, real good defensive tackle, those are the left, you know, left tackle. Those are the guys you're taking in that area. So um, now I know Dane's got three receivers going before the Bears pick at nine. And I think that's only happened once going back in memory. I'd have to go back and, and, and look. I know the year we took Tommy Harris, three went in the top ten. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was an oddity, and that's why we got Tommy Harris at thirteen. You know, because it was like we get the first defensive tackle in the draft of thir- with the thirteenth pick, and and it's like crazy. That never happens. Uh, but it was just you know a freak year. All right, I got some more. Let's uh, field a couple of more and uh, then get out of here. Jeff Willis says, uh, I like Tyler uh, B-a-days, uh, something like that, uh, the center from the Cowboys. But I'd like to know if Greg thinks he's athletic enough to play in the current scheme. I can't answer the question because I haven't studied it. 
Okay. So uh, I will. I, I'll get to that because there's still, I mean, literally the guys that work for are sending me guys every day to do. You know, you're a busy man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm in the middle of doing a, a quarterback for actually next year right now. I had to stop doing them to do this and I got to go back and finish. Amazing. Uh, Slick Sophistication says, how many linemen, offensive linemen, do you think the Bears need to solidify the offensive line? So let's say you're sitting down here and you're calculating what your needs are for the 2024 season and maybe beyond, and you're saying to yourself, you know what, I think we need to draft a, a guy and a veteran and sign a veteran, or what's your thinking there in order to get this offensive line to be uh, top 10. We want it to be top 10. We need it to be top 10. Um, a center. <laughs> Health. They haven't been healthy in two years. Yes, indeed. And maybe a swing tackle. Okay. And I think the two tackles are here. Yeah. And I think the two guards are here. We need a center. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to stay healthy. How about the Buffalo started the same offensive line for all 17 games in the two playoff games. Okay. That's a rarity. So just play this hypothetical with me. If the Bears were to trade down and the choice became, I'm kind of using somebody's uh, question here, they were asking what you think of Joe Alt, and the choice be was really between – Joe Alt, left tackle, and Malik Neighbors. Who would you choose? Ryan Post comes to you. Okay, these we've looked at our board. These are the two guys that are worthy of this slot selection. Malik or Joe Alt? Who do you hey, got? I, I'm, I'm a Braxton Jones fan. I think Braxton Jones is going to become an elite left tackle in the league. Braxton Jones, I will say, when the numbers come out, after the combine, mm -hmm. Braxton Jones will have tested better than Alt. I'm not saying Alt's not a better player, the athletic thing, because I go back to Braxton Jones went to Southern Utah, not Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. You know, so the development that Braxton Jones got. Now, and, and the interesting thing about Alt, Alt was a tight end when he first came to Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And then they had some injuries, and he ended up being switched over to tackle midway through his freshman year and never gave up the job after that. But he was actually undersized as a freshman and then built himself up to over 300 for his sophomore year, and then he's probably about 315 now. And he's, he's a pretty athletic guy. And his dad, you know, was a – excellent player for the Kansas City Chiefs. Had a long career for them. So it's in his genes. Um, if I had the choice between Malik Neighbors and Alt, I'm taking Malik Neighbors because I love Malik Neighbors. Yeah, I know you've been singing his praises for some time now, so it's going to be interesting. Um, but, I got but, but reality, if I'm looking at both, and there's mm -hmm. maybe two or three other guys that I like there too, Mm-hmm. How far back can I go and still get one of them? Okay. So my last question, and then we'll uh, say goodbye to everybody, is if 
you were the head of the Bears scouting department right now, what would you ha be having your scouts do? What is going on in this January 24th, X amount of days away from the draft, X amount of days from the combine, X amount of days from the all-star games? What are you asking them to do and prepare for? Well, right now, the, the, the next couple of weeks are East, West, and Senior Bowl. They're all headed down there. They all got their game plans as to who, who here's who we want to talk to, who is you want right. to keep a close yeah, eye one on. One thing I, I, I want to say, because you see it all the time, you see, well, the Bears talk with so-and-so at the Hula Bowl. That does not mean they're interested. <laughs> That's right. That means that he's a guy on their list, and you're going to interview everybody you can. Mm -hmm. Okay, so throw that one out the window. Yeah, because a lot of times you, you you get the interview to find out. Yeah, I want to eliminate this guy now. He just verified why I want to eliminate this guy. It doesn't necessarily mean interest. I gotta I gotta sneak this one in, but first I'm gonna sneak in my follow up to what you just said. Have you ever brought in a player to be interviewed at a All Star Bowl game or whenever? Just to get your plan was to get information on another player that that All guy played time. with. <laughs> Do you All disguise it? No, you, you flat out ask him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like some of the common questions are, you, you know, let's say you're doing an offensive line. Mm -hmm. Okay, you, you're doing an offensive line. You, you're doing Joe off. Okay, right, you're doing right. Joe off. Who's the best defensive end you played against? Who's best defensive back we played against? Why? Okay. Okay. And then and then what about what them, about a teammate? Would you would you say? Okay. Well, but, but a lot of times they're gonna be, you know, they're gonna stand up for their teammate. You know, so you can't always get a totally honest answer. What you will say to them, hey Joe, look, this is between us, nobody outside of this room is going to know what your answer is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's kept confidential. You know, what do you think of so and so? What's your your real feelings of so and so? Can he be a good pro? Is he? You know, would you want him to be your teammate with the Chicago Bears? Okay, that's great. And, great way to put it. Okay, and so when you do it that way. A lot of, not all the time, but a lot of the time, you're going to get a pretty straight answer. Because the kid doesn't want to be known as a bullshit or lie. Because, you know, a lot of times when you go into and you're interviewing people, you already know the answer. You want to find out if he's going to give you the right answer. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to hold, you're, you're not hold it against him. You're going to, you know, mark it against him right. when, when he's bullshitting you. Yeah. All right, I, I I promise one more, but I, I'm going to skip. As long as you want, I'm not talking oh. today. All right, well, so Lyle, thank you, Lyle, says uh, DC coordinators. Greg wanted you to remind him, Aldo. Oh yeah. His thoughts. Personally, I think it's going to be Harris. A lot of people really like him. I mean, you know, the, the, the word around the league is he's a right. A future bright top DC. Mm -hmm. Is he ready to handle the whole thing? You know, I can't answer that. 
the and it wouldn't shock me that even if he gets the position, Flus calls the plays at least next year while he's getting comfortable in that situation. The other guy they're bringing in that's been announced that's interesting, his name is, I think it's Terrell Williams, who is the defensive line coach, assistant head coach with Tennessee. Is he really being brought in? I mean, yeah, under the auspices of the of of interviewing as a DC, but is he really interviewing to be the D line coach? But granted, Flus is that defensive coaches are safe. But if, in my opinion, if there was a weakness on the the defensive side of the coaching staff, the defensive line didn't as good as some of the guys were. There's other guys like like Robinson hasn't developed. Ngakwe did not play as well as we had hoped he would. And, you know, part of that could be circumstances because they were, they didn't have another pass rusher. And so they had, you know, they could concentrate on him. But could that position be vulnerable on the current staff? And I, you know, I, I, yes, I'm guessing. But my guess is that it could be. What about Clint Hertz, asked Victor De Jesus, former Bears pass rush coach. He was a rising coach back when he was with the Bears. Yeah, and then he went to Seattle. He was a coordinator at Seattle. You know, I, that one I can't answer only mm-hmm. because, I mean, they've – there's only been two names released. My gut feeling is they want it done by the end of the week before they leave – for bowl game assignments. Yeah. Okay. So not necessarily, you know, wide receiver running back, but the, the coordinator positions and, the, and and Waldron's done. So, you know, it wouldn't shock me that on today, tomorrow, or Friday, a new coordinator is named. Mm-hmm. Okay. That would be Outstanding. Let's get this done. What about uh, a couple people asking about Phil Snow? Is he going to get uh, retained as a senior defensive analyst, or maybe is he even a, a candidate for DC? I well, if he was a candidate for DC, you might have already known. But if there's internal options, they probably wouldn't even, you know, they might have already been interviewed, and, and we're never going to know about it. Mm-hmm. You think Olin Cruz should be considered uh, as for position coach? You think that could p- potential offensive line position coach? Um, you that think that's played out a couple of years ago? Yeah, so that's that's out the door. I, now, I, I, in fairness, uh huh, that was, that was on Nagy staff and Ryan Pace, right? Was was the GM and Olin literally laughed at him when he they threw a, a number mm-hmm. at him. Yeah. And, and George McCaskey talked about it at the press conference. It seemed like there may be some animosity from McCaskey towards Olin or and or vice versa. So you think that is probably a, a deal breaker right there? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think so. But it does. It, you know. Olin's got a pretty good life. Mm-hmm. And he is coaching. And, you know, he's coaching at Carmel. He's got the offensive line um, working for Jason McKee. And he's got two sons playing at Illinois. 
Mm -hmm. One son, his oldest son, was the starting center this past year. Nice. The younger son will probably be a starting linebacker this year. He played a lot on special teams uh, last year. Owen likes to go to all those games. When you become a pro coach, you give up your life. Okay, for, for, from August until January, you, you see, you, honey, you know, I'll stay in January. <laughs> don't get a boyfriend while I'm gone. You, know? you better not. <laughs> it, it's um, and he was right across the street from Dan Alice Hall. So uh -huh. uh, it's, I, I just can't see him wanting, could he? Yeah, but mm -hmm. it's a different life. And, and it's not like a player's life, you know, because you're putting in at least four days a week, 14 hour days. Yeah. You know, and, and it's crazy. And sometimes longer than that. If you don't want to grind, mm -hmm. you're in the wrong business because you have to grind in that business. Mm -hmm. You know, you get no, you get no sleep, better drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> and then, that's why I couldn't coach. I can't drink coffee. Uh, but <laughs> no, but really, you get there. I used to get in there early. Mm -hmm, I get yeah. there between six thirty and seven all the time because <laughs> I had to beat Jerry. That was just a competition. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Yeah, there's no way I wasn't leaving. I wasn't. I was going to get there before, and I was leaving after. Mm -hmm. I might leave one minute after, but I was leaving after. And <laughs> but I get there at between six thirty and seven. And there's already half the damn coaches are in the building and it's been there for a while. Mm -hmm. Indeed. All right. I do have to go. I got an interview. I'm interviewing uh, the Holy Cross wide receiver, Jalen Coker for our debut episode of draft on tap tonight with Danny Shimon. And so I've got to do some prep work on Jalen Coker. Do you know anything about the wide receiver from Holy Cross? He's six. No, I did the, I, I, don't recall doing him. I did the quarterback. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and I think the quarterback's actually next year. And, you know, I, I don't see him as a, at best, he's a late round guy, but, you know, right. at that level. Yeah. Right. Pretty good player. Yeah, I, he's definitely a developmental type player, and a lot of people are looking at him as a, a round six, round seven guy. So anyway, I'm um, I'm looking forward to doing the interview, but I got to do a little more prep work. So, uh, Greg, we've gone an hour and forty two minutes. The check is in the mail. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to you later. I, I, won't, I won't. I won't. I won't continue that. Now that statement goes. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate you very much and i appreciate everyone in the chat room we had uh, about 600 people for the willis brothers thank you for having me on last week that was a lot of fun well they're gonna ask you again so <laughs> so get well, hold on to your hat then, then they're gonna have to pay me 10 cents but that's all right. <laughs> there you go <laughs> goodbye everybody appreciate you <laughs> see you later